Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. There's a company, there's a brand, there's a, there's a brand that is perhaps the world's most iconic brand. Um, according to the surveys, up until about 15 years ago, this was by far the most recognizable brand. I think right now and today may have been supplanted only by Apple. But prior to that, uh, if not competing, but I, I, I still firmly believe, because I'm a little bit older than, I guess, all of y'all. So I believe still this is the most recognizable, most famous brand in the entire world. Can anyone guess what that may be? McDonald's? Can anyone take a guess before I reveal the answer? Nike? Okay. IBM? All right. He went like nerd answer right there. said, not Apple, but IBM. Can anyone guess? Coca-Cola. Now, uh, <laughs> like, I'm really happy. Yes, I got the answer. Um, Coca-Cola, invented first in 1920, um, so popular, um, people say the representatives uh, of Coca-Cola swear that uh, that phrase, that word Coca-Cola is second in all of the world that most frequently used saying. Second most. Universally, no matter what country you are, everyone knows the brand of Coca-Cola. Everyone knows that Coca-Cola exists. Only to second, okay. The word okay is used in all of the world. Okay? Okay? You guys got it, right? And Besides that word, Coca-Cola is universally recognized and universally adored. And I'm going to just throw out some facts here of Coca-Cola. If all the Coca-Cola bottles were laid end-to-end, they would reach the moon and back more than 1,677 times. You're not impressed. You guys are a tough crowd. In 1985, Coca-Cola became the first soft drink to be consumed in space. In 1991, Coca-Cola launched the first drinks bottle containing recycled materials. That's kind of a, no one's really that impressed. 1950, Coca-Cola in a contour bottle was the first commercial product to appear on the cover of Time magazine. Coca-Cola was also the first Olympic sponsor in 1928 when the Olympics were held in the city of London in England. And I believe the main reason why the company and the brand of Coca-Cola grew so successfully, so popular over the years, is I believe because of the vision and the commitment of one person. The founder of Coca-Cola gave his life for his one thing. And, and he had this simple uh, vision of the company. He says, my dream, my vision for this company is to put a bottle of Coca-Cola in everyone's hand. He did not mean everyone in the U.S. He did not mean everyone in a certain region of 
this continent, his vision was to see a bottle of Coca-Cola literally in the hand of everyone that ever existed. He has such a clear vision of this. He was so sold on this particular vision, that uh, life mission, that when one, one time during the press conference, the interviewer asked him so, uh, a question, and he said, there flows in my body, not blood, but Coca-Cola. That's kind of crazy, right? But this guy was just absolutely crazy about Coke. Only because the founder and the president was so completely sold on this idea and he gave everything that he had, the company actually acquired much success over the years. I had a friend of mine, uh, he said, like, this is, I'm not making this up. He said, you know, Scott, like, one time in my life, I don't need to do it twice, just one time in my life that I, I wish to fill the bathtub fill it with ice, and pour Diet Coke, and I just want to drink myself out of that tub. I know, nasty, gross. We did not say, we didn't say, like, maybe he wasn't naked, okay? But, like, his dream was to, like, just sit and just just indulge in Diet Coke. Right? But it's crazy. There was a season in my life where every meal I had to have a Diet Coke. I moved on from that, right? But isn't it crazy, right? I mean, it, just how does one person, how does one person's vision and dream, how, how are we compelled so much that everything that we do is dictated by this so passionately? You know, thinking, why is God talking about Coca-Cola? Like, all this talk of soda is making me thirsty. Like, I just need to... You know, take a gulp of Coke. When I think about, when I think about Apostle Paul, when I think about the letter of uh, uh, this book of Romans, I think about a man who is just absolutely crazy, and he's just crazy about one thing. When you take an account of his life, when you assess and when you evaluate what kind of life this man had lived, There's just one word that consummates that one word that summarizes his vision, his motivation, his focus, his achievements and accomplishments. And all, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so much so that he, he, he terms himself as a bond servant. He terms himself that I'm a slave. I no longer have an identity of my own. I am nothing. I have no, I am a person of no significance and no importance unless my identity is tethered to the person of Jesus Christ. Unless I'm represented by the message of Jesus Christ that a sinner like me, that I can be justified and saved by the grace of God. And we see a man such powerfully impacted by this one truth. He says, I'm a bondservant. I'm an apostle, meaning I am the one who is sent by God for the purpose of sharing this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And apart from God, apart from the work of God, that my existence has no meaning. And Paul says just a few verses later from the opening chapter of this letter, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is Paul saying that? 
But being ashamed has what? Being ashamed has a, a close uh, connection with a proclamation. You're not really ashamed unless you're demonstrating. The concept of shame, shame comes with demonstration. Saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to live this way. I'm not ashamed. I'm not, I'm not awkward. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, uh, shying away from expressing my belief and my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he says that because Paul lived in an era where persecution was heavy. If you ever did associate yourself with Jesus Christ. He was a citizen of Rome. Though he was a Jewish man. He lived in a country, lived in a city where a dictator, a man named Nero, made it his life mission. You know who else had a clear mission in his life? Paul had a clear mission in his life to preach the gospel. Nero had a clear mission, one purpose in his life. You know what that was? To kill as many Christians as possible. This man built the Colosseum. He, he, he made a demonstration of public execution of Christians. He was absolutely clear about this mission. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I can't deny who I am, no matter how heavy the persecution is. Because my is in response to the power of God. When the power of God was demonstrated, every sinner, every sinner had been saved. And all we have to do is believe. And that salvation came first to the Jews and the Gentiles later. And it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Paul is obviously sharing this from his personal testimony and he and declares that I'm not ashamed and I'm not I'm not afraid. I'm going to continue to preach. I'm going to continue to share what God has done in my life. If you read over the book of Acts in chapter 20, this is what is said of Paul. But I do not consider my life of any account as to dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus testify solemnly of the of the grace of God. If you could encapsulate the mission and the purpose of Paul's life, it is stated in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, I live for one thing. It's for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you know that Paul, Apostle Paul, for this particular cause, for the pattern of the gospel, he was stoned three times. Please understand, when we think of stoning, it's not, we're not talking about getting pebbles and rocks in our hands. I think I'm good. We're not just like, I don't know if you have ever witnessed public execution. I have witnessed via video footages in, in, in where I had once lived for about three years. In that town, in, in that city, in that country, public execution was a common thing. It was a, um, uh, every year at least, once or twice, they would have public. So we're not talking about that throwing rocks. People show up with stones. People show up with like big, how do I, what's a big rock, guys? 
boulders, if you could carry, right? So they show up with intent to crush you, intent to not hurt you or harm you. Their intent is to what? For one thing, it's to kill you. So the fact that Apostle Paul was stoned three times, you have to understand it's not like, hey, I want Paul to have little like boo-boos after this. I want Paul to understand that we don't like him. We want to hurt him. Why why am I doing this? You know, so it's not that. So people showed up with an intent to kill and end Paul's life. Somehow he survives it three times. He was flogged five times. Do you know what flogging is, right? It's whipping. Um, Again, flogging is particular in that 40 minus 1. The Jews back in the day had considered the number 40 to be complete. And it was their mockery that, you know, people in in the mockery that, you know what, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to end you, but what? I'm going to spare you, so that's 40 minus 1. That was their act of showing mercy. He was flogged how many times? Five times. And we're not talking about just like cute little whip. We're talking about, again, intent to really end someone's life. Crazy. He survives that five times. Beaten with rods once. Shipwrecked once. And according to the second Corinthians, it says, not knowing a day or night. Meaning he was lost in the sea without the, the certainty of his life. He had encountered all of these things. Yet when he writes this letter to the church in Rome, so there's one thing that's on my mind. It's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we have to understand that Paul was not, from the beginning, a person that comes out. He was not a disciple chosen by Jesus. He's not someone like from the beginning we see, oh, he was a nice guy. He was a priest. He was actually a persecutor of the church. And if we see Uh, If we read the book of Philippians in chapter 3, we see a little background of the life of Paul. Paul says, you know what? I was the worst of all sinners. He says, you know, when it comes to observing, uh, I was a Jew among Jews. When it comes to observing the law, I was like a Pharisee. I was a teacher of the law. I was dedicated. I was so passionate, I even persecuted Christians. But he says, All of these accomplishments, all of these uh, credentials that I've once had, that I prided myself in, he says, I I consider all of that rubbish. I consider that all of that dumb. The only time Paul curses is in that chapter, chapter 3 of Philippians. He says, all of this is crap. It's not by my own doing. All the years of observing the law, all the years of doing good things, he's testifying that there has come a point where I am not enough. And on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Christ encounters Paul. And for the next 25 years, he's experiencing the working of God, the grace of God that no matter what we do, Even in our inability to save ourselves, the power of God, the grace of God is present and is working in our lives that no matter what sin we commit, that we are saved and we are saved 
forever. We don't have to live our lives in guilt. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. We no longer fear judgment of God. Now, Paul has lived through this, and he has reformatted, he has reinvented theology that salvation comes only through a faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is absolutely excited about this. And he wants to tell the world. And he's not holding back. For that reason, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I think we sometimes forget, we overcomplicate things when we think about the Christian faith. We overcomplicate things about what is this journey of faith all about. Journey of faith is simple that we are sinners. We are people stricken with diseases. We are people constantly, perpetually stricken with more problems that we have answers for. That on our own, we run into a dead-end street. But by the grace of God, that he comes to us, and we are redeemed, and we experience God. And someone would say, we're no more than beggars who have found food, and we go tell others about it. That we have been impacted by Jesus Christ. And Paul is no different than the characters that is mentioned in all four Gospels. And I think about a man possessed by demons. A legion were attached to him for the entirety of his life. And Jesus comes. You know what? I, I free you now. He cast out the demons. From that day on, he goes out completely changed. He lives as a free man. He lives as a changed man. I think about um, Matthew, the tax collector, where he was upcharging fellow Jewish people. And he was working for the Roman government, hated by everybody, hated by everybody. One day, Jesus appears to him and says, now, follow me. And he abandons his good job. He abandons his cushy job and comfortable job. And he follows and he becomes a disciple of Jesus. I think about a woman who was stricken with a, a hemorrhage, bleeding problem for 12 straight years that she has constantly bled. Not only is it physically painful and uh, cumbersome, the social uh, and the emotional shame and pain that came with it. I think about that woman. One day she comes behind Jesus and touches the cloak of Jesus. And that instant, the power of God is released. Jesus turns around, says, no longer would you live this way. And now your, your, your faith has saved you. Her life is completely changed. She goes out living differently than she had in the past. I think about Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Jesus invites himself to his house. Upon that encounter, life is never the same again. When I read through the Gospels, I also remember myself that I too am one of these characters in the Bible. I, I'm not saying this in a way that I'm, I'm inserting myself in the narratives of the gospel. I'm saying, I think about it, I've been Christian now for 30, 31 years. 
I think about myself, my life, BC, you guys know what BC is, right? It's not just like thousands of years ago. BC refers to before Christ. I think about all the, the shameful things that I used to do, the life that I lived in lies, in, 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 in thievery, and in constant manipulation. I mean, it just, I was just a hot mess. And I think about the time that God came to me one night. I was just 16 years of age. God came to me in my dream and revealed uh, just, just the life that I was living and I woke up in the middle of the night just repenting. No one had, there was no pastor. There was no church. You know, there was no, like, you know, podcast that I was listening to. Like, by supernaturally, God appears in my dreams. I wake up on my knees just, like, weeping, weeping, so much so that I scare my parents. They come in. They thought we had a intruder. And I had to assure them, send them back. And I, for three straight hours, just on my knees and, and confessing my every single sin that I could think about. I woke up, piled all my music, back then tapes, right? CDs, I mean, did not really exist back then. <laughs> tapes. I took down all the posters, and I put them in a pile. That weekend, I, I, I brought myself to church. I think about that incident Without the power of God, without God's interrupting grace being demonstrated in my life, my life would have never been the same. Paul says, now I live with this motivation. I live with this clarity of this purpose. Because personal encounter with God leads to powerful proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, every year we have a theme. Every year we want to focus on one of the values of this church. We have six core values of this church. I'm not quizzing you. I don't want to stress you guys out. So I'm going to give you the answers on the screen. <clears throat> one of the values is gospel center. One of the values is actually one that rises to the very top here is being gospel-centered. What does that mean? And we want to be a gospel-centered church. What does being gospel-centered look like? It means this, gospel-centered. We are a gospel-centered church where people who are sick, broken, and hurt are embraced to come and worship God as one. We have made a personal commitment from day one of this church that we wanted to have our church doors as wide as possible. We want to make the Sunday worship services, our small groups, our activities as, as, as easily accessible as possible that the people who have not yet experienced the power of God, people who have not experienced the unconditional love of God, people who have not uh, experienced the, power of, the saving power of God's grace, we want them to come, be in this house, and encounter firsthand. We want to make sure that we are driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that many of you in this room have a personal testimony. There's a specific date and time where you remember for the first time when you had experienced him. My prayer for you this year in 2024 is that you encounter Jesus personally. 
that when we reference our salvation story, it's not just talking about history, but it's talking about daily occurrence because we are renewed in the saving power of Jesus Christ. You remember all the times when we fail. We remember all the times when we come short. When we remember all the instances where we are frustrated and angry and disappointed. And God comes to us. Says, you are my child. You're beloved. I redeem you. I love you. When we experience that. When we experience the gospel for ourselves. Then we can't help but to. Share that good news with somebody else. So this year, we want to be gospel-centered. We want to be gospel-driven people. Again, personal encounter leads to powerful proclamation. We want to experience. We want to evangelize. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Apostle Paul, again, the same person who wrote the book of Romans, He says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me. I'll be damned. I'll be cursed if I do not preach the gospel. I will live with a heavy sense of burden. I will never get over myself if I do not preach the gospel. I know that we're not the best in sharing our faith with people. We're not the most bold, you know, when it comes to sharing and testifying of our faith in Jesus Christ. But may I submit to you, may I challenge you this year that may you be a little bit more bold in proclaiming, coming out of the salt shaker, coming out of your comfort zones, and actually being reaching out so that you may be more missional, that you may be more committed to fulfilling the Great Commission in your life, in all of our lives. Amen? When we think about, when we talk about evangelism, maybe it's just only a few of us that get excited. Maybe a few of us, if at all, get excited about the prospect of that non-believer, non-churchgoer, someone who has not experienced Christ, But I pray that this year that you may be motivated to share and bring people to the house of God so that they can experience for them what you have been so blessed to experience for yourself. And putting yourself out there with conversing, talking with more people. You know, as a pastor, this is not an excuse, but... I think I have less people, um, less t- uh, people that I can share my faith with. Because most of you guys work in environments that is kind of uh, faith neutral. You go to work, and there are people of different faith backgrounds. I think I'm at a disadvantage that when I show up to work, um, most of my coworkers are Christians already. I hope. I think. So naturally, I'm not as exposed to these evangelists. <laughs> Why do you look at me like that? No, you're good, man. I'm not. You're good, Pastor Roland. Oh, we th- oh he's saying, we're worried about the guy in the back. <clears throat> but I think many of you guys have the opportunity when you go to work, when you people encounter people at work, 
you have plenty of opportunities to share your faith with those that may not of your Christian faith. You know that, um, you know, for the past couple of years, you know that I've been, uh, I've, I have a new hobby now. I, I train. I train jujitsu. I, I absolutely love it. Something weird about it, like I, I just go, um, I get beat up most of the times, but I love it. And, and, and for the past couple of years now, I think the word has gone out that more and more people are finding out that I'm a church pastor. So first of all, they're like shocked. It's like, what are you doing here? It's like, what do you, what do you mean, what am I doing here? It's like, they, they, they have such a, an idea of a pastor that is, they think we stay at like church. They think our hobbies are like reading and singing hymns. I honestly, and as, as they're choking me out, like, so, so, what do you, like, you know, so we talk about it, and like, I love it because it's giving me the opportunity to share my faith. And oftentimes they approach me, which is fantastic. And, and I don't pull back. When they approach me, I don't pull back. I say, yeah, I'm a pastor. You know what you need to do? You need to come out to my church. If you can't, you need to go to a church. Cause, and and it, it's phenomenal. And I love that I have these opportunities because um, I know that God has burdened me with the task of sharing as often as possible what God has done for me and my life. And there's absolute um, timeline too. We also don't have the luxury of living forever. Lives are at on a scale. Their lives being determined. There's a timeline. And I'm motivated to share as aggressive as I can be. And as often as I can be, the opportunity that more and more people hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And let us not forget that. Let us not forget the purpose of even this church is not just us for and no more. Like we surrounded by this nice church and the kumbaya, like, yes, we have made it. It's not about that. Jesus came in Mark chapter 2, verse 18 says, I came not for the healthy, I came for the sick. I came not for the righteous, I came for the sinners. And we forget that we were once sick. We forget that we were once lost and, and, and just deadlocked in sin. But we now have been redeemed by Christ. We now have been resurrected with Christ. And Jesus says, now I have ex- allowed you to experience. Now I commission you, I commission you. The same mission that I've come to this earth for. Now you are included in my mission. Now let us go together to share more and more of the good news of Jesus Christ. How amazing will it be? How amazing will it be that we see more and more people who have no clue, who have never experienced the, Jesus, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have never personally encountered the love of God that we are surrounded with these people. And church is a, is a hub. Church is a gathering place. That, and every week we preach the good news that there's life and there's life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. I love you guys so much. I think quite often of you guys. Most of my own personal prayer time is dedicated for you guys. As much as I love you guys, I dream of praying for people that we don't even know yet. I think about the people that have never been seen in this church. 
how great will it be that we become a missional church? We preach the gospel. I'll share with one last story uh, as I invite the praise team to come on up. You guys know famous pastor, Pastor Rick Warren, and he recently had finished his 40 years of uh, pastoral ministry, which I was so delighted like, that uh, one of the good guys in a Christian community that the entirety of his pastoral career that no hiccup, no scandal, and he got to the finish line, and, and he finished his career so beautifully, and, and I celebrated with him. And he, a few years back, he was telling us a story, and it was, uh, it was a pastoral conference, and, and he was giving us all pastors a charge to be committed to missions, to be committed to, to preach the word. And he shared his personal testimony of his father. And he assured at the time of his uh, father's passing that um, I think it was just him and his father just alone on the, de- uh, on the hospital bed. And his father had just moments or, or, or days, if that. And he was unable to speak clearly. Um, it would required a lot of effort and strength for him to just uh, get a few words out. And he said he he pulled uh, Pastor Rick closer to his side. He grabbed his hand and he said their eyes locked and and he knew that in that moment that that his time had come. He just only had a few moments and his father grabbed his hand and he said, Son, one more, one more for Jesus. Get one more for Jesus. And as I heard that story, a bit of confusion and I think envy and also shame. How, how does one live a life so that in the last moments of your life, there's only one thing, and that one thing is, it's nothing about me. It's about the good news. It's about Jesus Christ. In that moment, I was a little ashamed because as a pastor, even as a Christian, have I been sold to the mission that way? And I don't share this story to bring shame or to guilt, but I I share that as as a word of encouragement that we can live that way. We can be driven by something that is unseen. We can be motivated by something that is outside of this earthly life. In fact, Jesus encourages us, live for the kingdom of God. Live with eternity 
in our hearts. May the God of peace, may the God of grace fill your heart today in all the things that you are doing, in all the places that God has called you to and for. May you be driven by the good news of Jesus Christ and that you understand your identity and you understand this purpose that includes the mission of Christ.